The Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again. The letter to Colossians, written by Paul. And I think it's a very necessary message. I've, I've titled this message, this sermon series, not this message, but this sermon series, Christ Plus Nothing. Fact of the matter is, Jesus is all we need. Period. You could put a period on that. You can put an exclamation point on that. Jesus plus nothing is enough. Amen. And so I want to I want to talk about that. I'm going to talk today out of verses one through twelve. But before I do, I want to give you just a hint of background in regard to Colossians. Anytime that you go verse through verse through a set of through a book or a letter, you ought to know who it was written to and why it was written in the first place. And so you should know that Coloss was the city. Colossians is the church. And that church started through the evangelistic work of the third missionary trip of Paul as he proclaimed the gospel and someone named Epaphras heard it. And so Epaphras heard this message during Paul's third missionary trip, and then went back home to Coloss, and in Coloss started the Colossian church. Uh, there's a lot of people, myself included at one point, that thought the Colossian church was evangelized, was started by Paul. That's not true. Epaphras, which is important in a minute, Epaphras planted the church there, having heard the gospel. And so Paul, there's no evidence in Scripture that Paul ever went to Colossians at all. And Philemon 1, of course there's only one chapter in Philemon, but verse 22 Paul writes to Philemon and says, prepare a place for me to sleep that I may come visit you when I get out of prison. Well we know the book of Colossians was written in prison. The letter to Philemon was written in prison. And we know that Paul never actually got out of prison. So there's no evidence that he even went to Coloss. But he he was still essentially the father of that church. And like any father, he wanted to make sure that the children that he was responsible to understood who they were. And so he writes this letter because there were some false teachers that had infiltrated the church and had convinced them or was starting to convince them, some portion of them, that there was some higher level of spirituality that only a certain number of people could get. Like that there was, the word is Gnosticism, but essentially there are those who are spiritually elite and then there's everybody else. And I'll tell you, that's a lie. Can I tell you that? Jesus is enough. There is no, you've heard me say this before and I'll say it a thousand times before I'm done probably, there is no special revelation for pastors. There's no special revelation for elders. You know where we receive our revelation? We receive the revelation that we have through the study of God's Word and the wisdom of the Spirit's counsel. But let me tell you, if the Spirit provides counsel that's contrary to the Word, it's the Spirit. It's just not a Spirit you should be paying attention to. Because all things will be confirmed in the Word. So there's nothing 
true about, well, that person's more spiritual than me in regard to grades of spirituality. Now, should we all strive to maturity in Christ? Is there a higher level of maturity we can attain to? Yes, but that's maturity that comes as we develop in Christ Jesus. But our foundation is Christ Jesus, not spiritualism. It is Christ Jesus because Christ, and I, I know I'm sounding like a broken record, but I want to give you the same message Paul gives in Colossians, Jesus is enough. It's through Christ Jesus that we've been equipped with everything that we need. Amen? Can I prove that to you in Scripture? First Peter, or correction, 2 Peter 1 through 3. Seeing that His, that's capital H, divine power has granted to us everything. Everybody say everything. Pertaining to life and godliness. That means according, he's given us everything that we need now so that we might ultimately be righteous. Amen? Might be perfect. We're righteous now, but holy and perfect. Through true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. He gave us everything. And so there's nothing that can be added physically, spiritually, or intellectually. Jesus' work was sufficient. Amen? Colossians 2.10 proves this truth, and we'll cover it as we go through this letter. It says, And in Him you have been made complete. There is nothing you can do to add to it, and He is head over all rule and authority. You've been made complete. You're complete right now. God has given you everything necessary for life and godliness. Amen? I want you to grab a hold of the truth that the sacrifice that Jesus made, that the life that He was born into, the life that He lived, the ministry that He walked, the sacrifice that He gave of Himself, the resurrection, all of these things caused Jesus to be the singular, all-time, sufficient sacrifice for our life, and for our godliness. Is that pointed enough for y'all? And that's what Paul wants the Colossian church to know. Because people do come in, and they do come with these false ideas, and they do want to put this yoke on you and tell you, Jesus plus, oh yeah, you got to do this, and you got to do this. How many of you guys have lived at some point in your Christian life under the yoke of someone else's list of burdens they've tried to put on you. I have too. I'll be honest with you, that's the reason why I didn't come to Jesus until I was 34. Because I watched my grandmother suffer under the weight of this list of legalism that she had to do this and this and this. We came from a very Pentecostally background. Women weren't allowed to wear makeup or earrings or they had to wear dresses all the time. And it, on and on and on. And if you said a single cuss word, you were going straight to hell. You shouldn't be saying cuss words, but Jesus is sufficient for what? Salvation, life, and godliness. Amen? So what I want you to do, I want you to just shut that yoke off and say, I'm done with that list right now. I just want freedom in Christ Jesus. 
That's all I want. I want to be able to sit and rest and know that God sees me, that he saw me, that he had a plan to save me. And in that plan to save me, he sacrificed the most significant, important, costly thing that he could to prove his love for me. And that was his son, Jesus. Y'all know how big a deal that is? You know, something's only worth what you're willing to pay for it. If a diamond on the market only went for $3, guess what you're going to get for a diamond? You're going to get $3. It's like, it's like any other rock. But for some reason, we have placed value on it. And so it's instead of $3, it's worth thousands of dollars. It's only worth thousands of dollars because we place that value on it. God's son, Jesus, is of greatest value, which means he saw you as so valuable that he was... <coughs> willing to give the most valuable thing he had to acquire you. Man, that's beautiful. Amen? And for that reason, Jesus is enough. We need to know Jesus is enough. I'm excited about this series for one reason. I'm excited about teaching this series for one reason. To let you know God doesn't expect you to perform. He's not asked you to be a marionette. He's asked you just to trust and have faith that what He did was enough for all times through His Son, Christ Jesus. Amen? And so, Paul starts the letter of Colossians. And he starts in the first two verses just kind of explaining who he is and why he's talking to them in the first place because, like I said, there's a decent chance he, he never even stepped foot in Colossia, but people still would have known who he was. Like people who haven't met my pastor still knows who he is because I talk about him. And so they would have been familiar with Paul. So Paul starts with verses 1 and 2 to kind of explain who he is, why he is. Thank you, sir and why he's talking to them and who they are. So he says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, your brother. Don't worry about the and Timothy, your brother. People argue whether Timothy wrote the letter. It doesn't matter. It's pretty plain. It's Paul either writing or Timothy's present or Paul's just speaking and Timothy's writing it down. It doesn't matter. What I want you to pay attention to is that it's a Pauline writing, and he is saying this to them. I have the authority given by God to tell you what I'm about to tell you. He said, I am the apostle of Christ Jesus. Not on my own account, not by my own strength, not by my own desire, but by the will of God. Amen? That ought to bear all the weight to, to us that it bore to them. And then he says this. He says, since I've got your attention, let me make sure you know who I'm talking to. And this is going to become important later when we discuss some things. He's talking to a church of fellow believers. He says, to the saints and faithful brethren. He doesn't say to the lost, to the people who don't know Christ Jesus. This is a letter of comfort and equipping to his own people, to God's own people. He said, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Coloss. And so he pins them down. He puts a pin in them. In it, just to let them know exactly who he's talking to. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. I want you to have peace, understanding the grace that you've been given through God. 
And so you have an introduction, you have a why I'm who I'm writing to, and why I'm writing to you. Because I have the authority, because you are believers, and because God, by His grace, desires that we not be tossed to and fro by these false teachers, but that you walk in the peace that He died so that you could have, so that you could cast off all this ridiculous expectation of people who don't have your best interests at heart. What they want to do is they want to line their own pockets or create influence for themselves. But I'll tell you, Jesus is enough. Jesus plus nothing. Amen? And so then he begins to talk. And he talks about, in the first 12 verses, 3 through 5, that is, he talks about the gospel, which is beautiful. I mean, if I'm going to start a Jesus is enough, I'm going to start with why Jesus is enough, right? And so that's exactly what he does. Verses 3 through 5 read like this. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. And so this is a prayer of thanksgiving to God on their behalf for the faith that they've received. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. Take a second with that. I got three points to make tonight. I'm going to try to get to all of them. The first one is gospel, the gospel. Paul is thankful for them. But what we need to take away from that is that the gospel is received by faith. Would you agree with that? I hope so. That's what the Bible says. Salvation given by grace, received by faith, Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Everything that we receive is a gift of grace. It's free from God because He loves us. Amen? The, the definition of faith, the faith definition that we should all hold confidently to is Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Man, that's awesome. Unless you're not a theologian. Then you're all, what? Or maybe y'all ain't like me. Before I really started digging down in it, I, was a, I could quote it, but I didn't know what it meant. Because that's, that's pretty technical terminology. Essentially, this is what he's saying. It is the evidence we hold in our hearts until we have it in our hand. Faith is the evidence that I hold in my heart until I have it in my hand. I don't have victory right now. I don't have whatever it is God's promised me according to His Word. If you can find a promise for you and you can identify that that promise is normative behavior for you, that you have access to that promise, then you should be able to say by faith, I have this and I'm going to hold it in my heart until I can hold it in my hand. It is the evidence spiritually that what ex will exist is going to exist. Thank you, Lord. Man, that's a big deal. Because I don't know about y'all, but I got some stuff I'm not holding in my hand yet. I've been praying for healing for two and a half years. You know what I don't have completely yet? I don't have healing yet. But you know what I have? I have the evidence of God's Word that I hold in my heart until I see it in my hand. Thank you, Lord. Amen? We have a building that we believe in our heart. 
until we can hold it in our hand. We know that there are people in this city by faith that will come to Jesus Christ because of the ministry that God has given us. And we hold on to that. We fight for that. We walk in that until we can hold those people in our hand. Amen. And so when I say you are saved by grace through faith, you just need to know that God, because He desired to love you, poured out His love on you through Christ Jesus while you were still a sinner, according to Romans 5.8, so that you in your heart could hold on to the hope that you have until you see it. Amen? And there will be a time when you see it. There'll be a time when you are face to face with Christ Jesus. Can somebody say amen? Amen. And I can't imagine, I try to imagine though in my finite mind what Jesus being face to face might look like. But until then, man, I'm going to meditate on it in my heart. I'm going to hold it in my heart. I'm going to turn it over like a shiny penny or something. I'm just going to turn it and look at it. That love letter we talked about last week. I'm just going to check the creases and check the folds and check the smell of the perfume that's on it. And I'm going to make sure that I'm ready so that when I see him, I hear what I want to hear, which is well done, not depart from me. Amen. That's the faith that Paul wants them to have, that it is available to us by the grace of God in Christ Jesus alone. Do you agree with that? Good. I'm so glad. But then he says this thing. And this will hit you right in the teeth. Because I get people ask me from time to time, how can I know I'm good? How can I know I have faith for salvation? He says this. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, so they heard of their faith, and the love which you have for all the saints. Hold on, I'll blow your mind. You want to know if you're okay? What's your love look like? Jesus told us in the second greatest commandment that what? We will love our neighbor as what? Ourselves. Have you ever, let me ask you a transparent question. Have you ever loved yourself improperly? You've allowed yourself or you've loved yourself enough to take something or do something you knew wasn't good for you so that you'd have temporary gratification. Do you know that's not loving yourself perfectly? So sometimes it's not good for us to love our neighbor as ourselves, which is the reason why in John 13, 34, I think, God, Jesus says, he kind of upped the ante. He said, I want you to love each other, not as you love your neighbor. Or not love your neighbor as yourself. I want you to love each other like I love you. <laughs> Come on, bruh. <laughs> you know? Y'all seen the little gif or whatever it is. Bruh. Because that's hard. Amen. It's hard to love. The Bible says that love covers a multitude of sin. Do you know what that means? That doesn't mean I can go up to Angela and say, look, I know you did this sinful thing. I love you. It's going to be all right. God forgive you. I don't have that authority. Only God has that authority through Christ Jesus to forgive her of her sin. But what it means is that if I love her well enough, if I love her like I should love her, 
the sin that she commits, I don't take offense to. Even if, it, even if it's something directly at me. I think if the church could ever understand that true love worked out in humility is unoffendable. Man, we're so ready. What did you say about me? Or you didn't talk to me Sunday. I saw you side-eyeing me. Can I tell you, I could take a random... Miss Diane will tell you this. I could take a random picture of folks everywhere and you'll have the most ridiculous look on your face. I'm the, I'm the worst photographer ever. I could take a snapshot of each of your faces at any time and you're going to look like this. <laughs> you might be having a great conversation. But if that's the only snapshot I see of you, I think you're mad at me. I'm walking around offended instead of loving you enough to ask you, are we okay? Why do I spend so much time on this? Because, here's why, I ask the question, how do I know I'm okay? Because the evidence of faith working in you, y'all need to write this down, is love working through you. Amen. Amen. And so let me ask you, What's your love look like? What does your love look like? And I'm not saying it's perfect, but is it better than it was last year? Or two weeks ago? Or ten years ago? Or for me, is it better than it was in 2006? Most days. Amen? But that's the litmus test. What's your love look like? Because love from God looked like Jesus to us. And that was sacrifice. That was love that was unoffendable. Isn't that beautiful? We should pay attention to the small words in the Scripture and not miss them for the big ideas. Give me the big idea. Bro, pay attention to the small ideas because the small ideas make the big ideas possible. The Gospel can't be thankful for the gospel if we can't be thankful for the love that's in us. And we can't be thankful for the love that's in us if we don't know the love that God gave us. Amen? And so, that's just good stuff right there. And let me tell you the kind of love that he gave us. He gave us a love that redeemed us. Paul's thankful in this letter. And we should be thankful too. But I'm just thankful to God. We should be thankful to God for extending grace to us. There's three things we should be thankful for in regard to grace. First, God. We should be thankful to God for extending grace to us in the first place. Nothing, listen to me, nothing obligated God to give us grace. He could have killed us. He would have been right to kill us. We deserved the wrath of God. That's what the Word says. Colossians 3.6, let me further in this letter and we'll, we'll dissect it and get into it a little bit better later, but 3.6 says this, for it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. We were sons of disobedience before we were sons of obedience. We became sons of obedience as we moved from darkness to light. And we moved from darkness to light because Jesus Christ redeemed us out of that darkness into the light. And so we should be thankful 
that God redeemed us and extended us grace. Ephesians 1.7 says, In Him we have redemption. That means redeemed. means bought back through His blood. Remember I told you a thing is as valuable as you're willing to put a, as you're willing to pay for it? Imagine paying the price of your son by the shedding of his blood to save another one. Much less the son of God. Big G. He put a high value on us. And forgiveness of our sins in accordance with the riches of his grace. Did you know God could have redeemed us but not forgiven us? He could have said, all right, fine. But I don't want to undo you. We do that, don't we? We we forgive people. We, we go, all right, cool. But you stay over there. God didn't do that. He said, even in your disobedience, even in your rebellion to my divine authority, I'm going to pull you out of that darkness and then in close to me according to the riches of my grace. I don't even know what that means. Because in order to know what the riches of God's grace are, you'd have to know the depths of God's grace, the width of God's grace, the breadth of God's grace. And we don't know that. We just know that His grace was sufficient to save us. Amen? But we should meditate on it. We should reflect on it and let the faith grow in us because of it. So we're thankful to God first and then thankful for the person willing to tell about grace. It's a scary thing to tell other people about Jesus, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Because what are they going to think about me? You know, I, I think of the likes of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. I bet he was freaked out as he gave the testimony of Jesus Christ and was stoned to death for it. But he did it anyway. I think of Peter and John as they were put in prison because they were telling of the goodness of Jesus Christ, but they did it anyway. I think of Paul, who not only was in prison, he was stoned and beaten says that he took the 39 stripes that Jesus took, was it three times? And was content. And even in his peril, even in his ultimate demise, even though he ultimately died, he did it anyway. Could you imagine being in prison for loving Jesus and then writing all these other churches about how awesome Jesus is while you were in prison for telling people about Jesus? Man, we can't even walk across the street and tell our neighbor about Jesus. But every apostle, except for John, and they tried to kill that guy, died and was martyred because they were bold enough to tell somebody about Jesus. And we should be thankful for them. Because the truth of the Word of God is that nobody can come to Jesus unless someone tells them. I came to Jesus because my pastor told me about Jesus. Y'all know I went to church following her. She, she told me she wouldn't date me unless I went to church with her. And that seemed like a fair trade. It was several months down the road before 
the Holy Spirit through my pastor's testimony. And inside that testimony, I didn't hear him talk about this guy in any of his testimony services since then or before then. There was, he talked about the jury foreman who wouldn't allow him to be sentenced to death because he had been a police officer. And God had changed his life. Isn't that amazing? God put something in his testimony to speak to me. And there in my chair, my wife will tell you, I never made it to an altar, man. When he did the altar call, I was good. I just wept. And I told God, I'll serve you all the days of my life. And I'll do everything I can to ensure that I could tell as many people about you if you could do the same thing for me. And he has. He redeemed me. Amen. Isn't that beautiful? Romans 10 says this in regard to what our responsibility is. 10, 13 through 17. For whoever calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. How then will they call on him who they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will, there be a, how will they preach unless they are sent? Y'all know, because I've done this before, I, I like to read this backwards because it causes it to start in this room. It says this, we have to send people so that other people might hear. And in their hearing, hear about Jesus. And in their hearing about Jesus, call on Him. And being called on Him, being saved. Because I'll tell you right now, the only name under heaven is Jesus, according to Acts 4.12. The only name. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And He deserves to be. Amen? That's so beautiful. So I'll tell you, don't be scared to tell them. And then finally, we should, we should be thankful for the person who received grace. I don't feel like we're, we celebrate like we should when somebody gives their life to the Lord. Did you, did you know the Bible says this? In the same way I tell you, there is joy in the presence of angels of God when one sinner repents. The angels celebrate in front of God. So they're all worshiping, they're doing their whatever angels do, you know. And they stop. And then they celebrate the one that was saved. And then they turn back to God, and I can imagine them celebrating the fact that he gave them that person grace in the first place. Why should we celebrate them? If you'll go further down in that chapter, that's from um, Luke 15.10. At the end of that chapter, the last verse, that talks about the prodigal son and the son that stayed, as you know the story, or if you don't, was a little mad that dad was throwing a party for the one that left. And he was all, why are you doing this for him? I've always been here. And the dad said something that should be our, the words that fill our mouth too. He says this in verse 32. But we had to celebrate and rejoice. For this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live, was lost, and has been found. Ain't that good? 
Man, we're all prodigal son. We talk about the kid hanging out in a swine bucket. Did y'all know if you'll read the prodigal son, it has nothing to do with that kid. Jesus is dealing with the heart of the prideful son. That he was talking to the Pharisees. This is the message he's trying to tell them. Don't wrap them up in lists. Don't have expectations of them I don't have. You be obedient to do what you're supposed to do, and we're going to celebrate every one of them that we find. Ain't that good? God's good. I know. I get a little silly, but God's good. I can get silly. And second, and I know I'm out of time, so these are pretty short points. As you guys know, I make the meat of my discussion about the first point necessarily because most of the time in segments, that's how it's written. I'm going to give you second and the second and third point at the same time. The gospel produces external fruit and it, it, it produces internal fruit. I love this. 6 through 10, which has come to you just as in all the world also is constantly bearing fruit. What has come to you is bearing fruit mm. and increasing. Even it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it. They didn't wait to go to Bible college to tell people about Jesus. They started producing fruit and bearing fruit the day the word came to them. Come. Lord, I feel convicted. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, and he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, what did they hear about? Their love working itself out in faith. We have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So that you will walk in, oh, I'll get to that in a second. So external fruit. We got to tell people about Jesus. Since the day that they heard about Jesus, they started telling people about Jesus. And we, we get comfortable, man. We think that we, like, I, we hired a pastor, man. Our, that's our pastor's job. I'm going to invite them to church so my pastor can tell them about the gospel. You tell them about the gospel. And then invite them to church so that they can become equipped and mature so that they can walk and then bear fruit too. And we, we say stuff like, man, I'm not gifted in evangelism. That's true. That's probably true. Did you know that? That the Bible says in Ephesians, let me read this to you. I love this. Ephesians 4.11 says this. Well, I'm going to get to it in a second. And he gave some, that's he, capital H, God, gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. Those are ministerial gifts. But you know what he gave you? He gave you a testimony. And it's by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony that there will be victory, not just in our life, but in the life of the people we're, we're bold enough to bear fruit in front of. And it's our obligation to do it. And I don't want to be at the kingdom of heaven. I've told you all my, my fear before. At the gate of heaven, sitting at the great white throne of judgment, 
And God says, you're good. Come on in. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well, before you go, there's another line over there of people that don't get to stay here. That guy, fifth row, fifth, fifth from the back, I created an opportunity for you to talk to him about Jesus. And you didn't do it. Could you, can I ask you why? Now, I can't prove that's going to happen in Scripture. But I am going to give an account for everything that I do. And to not do what I ought to do is a sin, so I'm going to have to give an account for the things I didn't do too. Amen? And I don't want to be there answering that question, knowing that person is going to spend the rest of their eternity separated from God because I didn't care about them enough to tell them about the Jesus that I love, or at least my testimony. I've asked this question before. Who do you hate enough to send to hell? The gospel should cause external fruit, but it should also cause and breed in us internal fruit. He says, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord for two reasons. To please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That's our job. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, our greatest calling is to please the Lord, to glorify God. It says, therefore, we also have as our ambition. It's our ambition. It's our thing. Whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. Shouldn't we live that way? So that we can bear fruit in every good work, which is our responsibility according to Ephesians 2.10, for we are His workmanship, which means He molded us and created us. We're a perfect example of His creation. Created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. We should be working internally. That internal working should cause an external working that God prepared for us beforehand that we should walk in them. Which is only possible, according to this, is God has called us to be steadfast in our work, strengthened in His power, patient, joyous. Can I tell you, if you walk around all mealy-mouthed, negative all the time, nobody wants to hear anything from you, much less Jesus. And I'll be honest with you, if you're going to walk around negative all the time, I don't want you telling them about Jesus because you're not representing the Jesus I know. You're casting a poor shadow of the God that died for me. Joyous in all things, and finally, thankful that He's led us for whatever reason to be part of it all. Amen? Isn't that beautiful? Reckon why He did that. I don't know. Maybe he enjoys a good comedy show. But I'm thankful he did because it's given my life purpose. And I hope it gives your life purpose. Amen.